Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Steve Sugarrood. Uh, he is one of the founders of Stansberry Research, which is a major investment research house. He's also the author of several newsletters called True Wealth, True Wealth Systems, True Wealth China Opportunities. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you for having me, Jordan. For people who may not be familiar with you, just kind of give us a brief history of uh, your experience in investments and, and how you got to Stansbury and, and writing the newsletters you do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's been a fantastic journey, uh, Jordan. I've actually been able to do everything that's that you can possibly do in the investment uh, in the investment world, uh, both on the education side and on the actual experience side, and sort of seeing the world as well. So, uh, I did get a PhD in finance, and and I, um, I I did my dissertation on emerging market currencies. But uh, I think the real education that I got was actually um, in the real world, actually as a uh, invest investment professional. Uh, with customers, uh, with as a, I specialized in international uh, investments uh, with uh, clients. You know, we had a few hundred um, guys uh, that specialized um, in international investing. So to give you an idea, um, uh, we would have everyone from retail investors to large institutions calling us, uh, looking for how to buy into China. And this is going back in the early '90s. Uh, so. Um, uh, so I started out as a broker specializing in international investing. I went on to become a, a hedge fund manager. I, I was uh, vice president of a global closed-in fund. I worked uh, doing special situations analysis for a uh, billion-dollar hedge fund in New York City. But ultimately, for uh, was actually going back to since 2001, I've been writing my newsletter, uh, True Wealth, and uh, True Wealth, Steve Sugarwood's True Wealth, uh, is, is one of the largest uh, in, in independent investment publications in the world with over 100,000 subscribers. So uh, it's been a great run. Uh, Jordan, I think you know a little bit about uh, sure. uh, what, what I've done, and uh, you're, you know, you're welcome to chime in anywhere along the way. But uh, uh, along that way, I have traveled the world, taking, taking customers as far north as Iceland and as far south as Patagonia, looking at incredible investment opportunities. And I myself have, have traveled the world, been going to China for over 20 years, and uh, uh, you know, just uh, really seen uh, firsthand uh, all of these incredible investment opportunities. So let's talk about your investment approach. You have a specific approach and how you pick investments um, and what you're looking for. So explain how that works in general. Absolutely. You know, uh, when I look at the world, I, I feel like there is opportunity. There's always opportunity somewhere. You just have to be open to the entire variety of investment possibilities. Most people just look at their U.S. stocks, for example, and they think that's the only investment option or maybe their house or something. But um, I, I feel like you have to be willing to look at everything, whether it's foreign stocks or uh, currencies or precious metals or commodities or alternative investments. Um, so I needed a way to sort of size up how do you compare these things to decide which one is the best opportunity at any given moment? And and uh, over, uh, you know, I've been doing this a quarter century. So over time, it developed into this very simple little uh, idea, uh, but it's pretty powerful. Uh, the basic idea of what I look for in an investment is I want to find an investment that has three things. It's cheap, it's hated, 
and it's in the start of an uptrend. And if I can get all of those three things in an investment, um, then uh, I've, I've I've, history has proven that my chances for success uh, go up dramatically. Because it can be cheap and hated and stay that way for a long time. You want to see it. charts that it's starting to, for some reason, turn around. Is that right? That, that's it, Jordan. And the thing is, is that a lot of folks, uh, you know, I kind of joke that I, it's hard to have friends in the investment world uh, be, for me uh, because uh, there are diehard value investors on one side who are only looking for things that are cheap. And then there are diehard momentum investors, trend followers that are chasing things higher. And uh, they don't they don't really get along. The value guys don't uh, don't believe in the trend and the trend guys don't believe in value. And and so I'm kind of in this middle ground where I say, gee, you know, uh, let's let's imagine that the price of a of a of a Smith Corona typewriter, Jordan, you know, like, well, it keeps going down every year. At some point, maybe it's a great value. Right. But it keeps going down every year. I want to see confirmation of the idea confirmation that it is a decent investment before I am a uh, before I am, am willing to buy that's the ideal situation uh, like for example we can't know if uh, what was the what was the car that was the sort of the world's ugliest car the pinto for example mm-hmm. um, is is a pinto ever going to come back as a collectible well i'm sure for many many years it went down and down and down in value but I don't know. I haven't. I'm not. I'm not really tracking. I'm not in the market for a, a Pinto. But uh, once you start to see the trend reverse, if you were a believer that someday the Ford Pinto would come back, maybe it is the best value in antique cars. But until you see that trend start to uh, start to confirm your idea that the Pinto is a great value, uh, that it's a, that other people are buying it and that it could go up in value and you could make money on it, you don't want to be a buyer of it. So, yeah, you're right. The, things can get cheap and hated. Things can get even cheaper and even more hated, um, you know, unless you wait for that uh, uptrend to confirm your idea. We're going to spend a lot of time with your current ideas, but why don't you just give us an example from the past? Where you pick something that was cheap, hated, and an uptrend, and how it worked out. Well, absolutely. So, um, uh, you know, one example was uh, in around uh, 2002, 2003. I started getting very interested in gold, and uh, it's a pretty funny story. My dad is was my always my biggest fan, and and uh, my dad's my hero. But he would always buy whatever I was recommending. Uh, he always believed in my ideas, and he said, Steve. You know, I've I've done everything you've ever done, but now that you're recommending gold, I cannot. This is the first time that I can't go along with your recommendation. And uh, you know, I was like, man, that it, that tells me that gold is so hated that even my father, who loves me and follows me into every investment idea, says, you know, I just can't follow you into this one. It was it was an extreme of hated uh, back then, and as you know, it it, it soared from you know, under $400 to, to uh, where it is today, over $1,300. Um, a couple other quick examples were in, in 2008, late 2008, um, I, uh, for the only time in my life, uh, you know, stocks were hated. Uh, Lehman Brothers was crashing. Uh, the, the banking system was falling apart. Um, fear was rampant. And what I did, this to me was either, it was either the greatest buying opportunity of my life or the world was coming to an end. And uh, so I made a bet. It's the only time in my life that I've actually taken all of my available cash and a home equity line of credit uh, to to (laughs) essentially put all of the money I possibly could uh, towards uh, stocks. 
and this was uh, late 2008. I was a little bit early, but uh, I was able to pay that off uh, with 100% gain. I was able to pay that off in about 13 months and uh, let the rest ride. It was just an incredible moment of fear and, and sort of the market was as hated as it got. And in hindsight, it really was the greatest buying opportunity sort of of our lifetimes. Uh, I mean, and keep, in, things kept falling, Steve. I mean, from late 2008, it bottomed in March 2009. So Right. There was sort of a bottom in, there was sort of a bottom in late 08. And then there was sort of a nail biting period until the bottom, the ultimate bottom in March of 09. But uh um, you know, I, I, we did have sort of an uptrend there and then, uh, but it was just, like I said, it was an incredible moment of fear and, uh, and hate. And, uh, I'll, I'll tell you one other one that uh, people could identify with. Uh, I live here in Florida and in 2006, everybody's getting into real estate, right? The plumbers are quitting their jobs because they're making more money, uh, flipping, putting a paint job on a house. Uh, than they are uh, fixing toilets. Everybody in Florida was in the real estate business. And uh, by 2009, uh, to give you an idea, this one property that I bought in Florida, uh, I'd never bought property as an investment in the U.S. outside of my home um, because it just was never cheap enough for me. But uh, in 2009, a, a property nearby me had was under contract for $14.4 million, and I was able to buy it 18 months later in 2011 for less than a million dollars. So wow. <laughs> well over well over 90% less. It was it was bank owned, and and uh, I went to the bank, and um, they they uh, you know it, the you know the story with uh, these bank owned properties and. Uh, um, I don't know if they were asking five or six million for it at the time, and and uh, I, I offered them seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for it, and I guess the bank wanted to get rid of it. Um, they came back at nine hundred thousand, and I took it immediately. And uh, I recently sold that property for a, a couple times my money in profit. But uh, that two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, I mean, that was an incredible moment. Um, in U.S. real estate, uh, before that time, everybody thought you couldn't you couldn't lose money in real estate, and then after that time, there was no one left to buy. There was no money in the market. Anybody that understood it, uh, they 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 couldn't have access to any money. So um, I think that was the greatest buying opportunity in real estate of my lifetime, and and uh, uh, I loaded up just like I did in 08, uh, late 08 on stocks. I loaded up in, in Florida real estate. And uh, it's worked out extremely well. And Florida real estate at this point is actually still um, the largest uh, percentage of my investment portfolio. So it takes um, kind of nerves of steel to do that, though, to be a real contrarian, to buy when things are, you know, tons of fear. Uh, what kind of emotional resources do you have to have to buy when things are that out of favor? Jordan, you know, that's actually a great question. I mean, and the, uh, because I've been doing this for a long time, you know, whether it's academics or, or, uh, you know, running hedge funds or learning these things, but the reality is, is that you are right. It is extremely hard at first, um, to say, okay, no one else is buying. Everyone else is scared and I'm going to be the one guy that buys. And the thing, here's what, here's the evolution of it is that, uh, when I was younger, you know, my, my dad was in the Navy. My mom was a school teacher, so we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of experience with this type of thing. But uh, as I was young, and uh, I think I started out, I think I was 22 years old when I accepted a job as vice president of a mutual fund um, in charge of a lot of operations there. So I got an early start, but I got to see many opportunities like we're describing, but I didn't have the money myself 
to be able to take advantage of them. But I don't think that I had, like you said, that sort of intestinal fortitude to actually take advantage of the opportunity. But then over time, especially uh, since I'm someone who looks at all countries and all currencies and all of these things, I'd seen enough of these situations where I'd said, geez, I really should. This, this, is what, this is what a bottom looks like, and I need to take advantage of it when it comes. And I'd seen it so many times in my career, and then when 08 was here, it was time to take advantage of it. And, and same thing with 2011, 2012 in, in real estate. Um, I haven't done anything to that extreme since then. Um, but uh, I have been adding um, heavily um, to, uh, to my favorite idea these days, which... Um, we're going to get through in the next section, actually. Sounds we're, great. Sounds we're great. going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Steve Shugarud. Uh, he is with Stansberry Research. Uh, he has a newsletter called True Wealth. Uh, you can find out more about it at stansberryresearch.com or dailywealth.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We've all been there. Struggling to keep up with credit card payments? Searching for a simpler, safer way out of debt? Well, here it is. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a nonprofit service that has been helping people reduce or eliminate their credit card debt for over 20 years. Most of us have made late payments and even gone over our credit limits. Before we know it, our balances are out of control and we can barely afford to make the minimum payments. If this sounds familiar and you're ready to take control of your debts, call Cambridge right away at 1-800-897-2200 for a debt-free analysis. Cambridge will work with your creditors and may be able to reduce your interest rates and get you out of debt fast. In fact, Cambridge's typical debt management clients save almost $150 every month on their credit card payments and they're debt-free in just 50 months. So there is a simpler, safer way out of debt. And it all starts with Cambridge Credit Counseling. Call 1-800-897-2200 for your free debt analysis. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a Massachusetts-based nonprofit agency providing services nationwide. For complete licensing information, visit them online at cambridge-credit.org. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Has your small business been turned down for a loan by the bank? Is lack of capital hindering your business growth? Small businesses unable to obtain bank financing or tired of merchant cash advances can now get the financing they need. Corporate Lending Solutions provides short and long-term capital, revolving lines of credit, and unsecured business loans. Does your business need help with payables, supplies, or payroll? Corporate Lending Solutions has powerful programs to help. While getting a small business loan can be a long, daunting process, with Corporate Lending Solutions, it's simple and takes only one to three days. Call 800-261-6478 or visit CorporateLendingSolutions.com to learn more. 800-261-6478. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Steve Shugarud. Uh, he is a founder of Stansbury Research, uh, editor of several newsletters, particularly one called True Wealth. You can find out more about it at the website dailywealth.com or the website for the entire company is stansburyresearch.com. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Thanks, Jordan. This has been great. So one of your big themes is China. You, as you said, you've been going there for a long time. Before we get to some of the specifics, why are you bullish on China as an investment opportunity? Oh man, there's there's so many reasons, but uh, and we'll get to one specific one that's that makes it uh, incredible right now. That ultimately, uh, I think Jordan, you're aware, hundreds of billions of dollars are about to flow into China, whether as an investment, whether it's a good idea or not. And so we're just going to try and uh, beat that money there, and I'll explain that in a minute. But really, uh, let's just back up a bit. Um, the biggest opportunities happen when investor perception is different than reality. And in my career, I've never seen a larger difference between perception and reality than you see in China right now. And what I mean by that is, for example, uh, my wife has never been to China. She's actually going to go with me in June for the first time this year. But my wife's perception of China is that China is the sweatshop to the world. That that's where our T-shirts come from, and that's where uh, you know low-end goods come from. But the reality is, is uh, this is the that's the perception. But the reality is, is that China can't compete in that way anymore. Um, Bangladesh and Vietnam, for example, can produce uh, T-shirts 90% cheaper than can be done in China. So China, it, the China that my wife has the perception of doesn't exist anymore. Um, if you want to buy a decent, and I'm not talking anything special at all, if you want to buy a decent apartment somewhere near the central business district, district in Beijing, you're going to pay $1.5 million. Yeah. If you're going to buy in Shanghai, you're going to pay more than that, and in Hong Kong, even more than that. You can't be sewing up $2 t-shirts if your apartment costs $1.5 million. You know, the perception and the reality. And I would say that Beijing and Shanghai, but uh, China's major cities are more advanced than any city in the U.S. And I'm not saying this to be a China cheerleader. I'm saying it's, it's just the reality. And uh, the perception is, is so much different than that today. So, um, so, um, so I mean, China part has... of the perception, Steve, part of the yep. worry that people have, the two things about China today. First of all, we're about to get into a trade war, which is going to hurt us, but it's going to hurt them. And the second thing is that there's a huge amount of leverage in China, that they've built this whole infrastructure and all these ghost cities based on an enormous amount of debt that's going to come home to roost and supporting state-owned enterprises that are over-leveraged and have too much capacity. Those are two worries that people have about China. What would you respond to those? Yeah, I think, uh, oh man, the the trade war is really going to hurt the U.S. more than it's going to hurt China. It's, um, you know, it, to me, those are um, those are overblown fears. Uh, for example, the the savings rate in China is off the charts. The the savings to um, to cover the debt is is fairly extraordinary, and it's not a concern to me. Um, and, and, you know, it's not a concern to me. The, the bigger ideas. So, so the way the way I try to do things, Jordan, is I try to find 
the one thing that matters uh, to a market. And for example, you may be familiar, uh, my big theme was that uh, the, the U.S. Fed was going to keep interest rates lower than people could imagine for longer than people could imagine. And that would cause stock prices and real estate prices to go higher than anyone could imagine. And so the, 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 the one important thing was those low rates in the U.S. And there were so many, so many uh, arguments against why U.S. stocks could go up. Oh, they've gone up for so many years in a row. Oh, you know, there's so many things going wrong in the U.S. Median incomes haven't gone anywhere. The debts are huge, this and that. And all those things are true. But the reality is, is that, uh, is that um, you know, interest rates near zero for all of those years were causing booms in, in uh today in the stock market and in the housing market. And I, I think those booms will continue. This is what um, you call the big melt-up, right? So yeah, that's that's the big melt-up. It's based on, uh, so what I expect in the US, um, you know, we're not talking China at this moment, but what I expect in the US is that uh, we have you, you ain't seen nothing yet, so to speak. Um, even though stocks have gone up for so many years, it's been an incredibly long bull market. With interest rates so low, I expect that this stock market will end in a boom like the Nasdaq.com boom of 2000 or like the housing boom. Uh, I expect what I call a melt-up in stocks. And uh, it's really driven from investor fear. It's shocking to me. It's stunning. You know, if you, if you think of the investor psychology at the top of the housing boom, people thought, Everyone, no one believed you could lose money in housing in 2006. I know it sounds crazy today, yeah, but yeah. Um, everyone was optimistic on housing. Every dollar that could possibly be invested in housing was invested. And when you reach that situation, um, it can't go any higher. There's no more money left to push things higher. Well, in, uh, in the case of China, but also in the case of the U.S., most people are still fearful of the stock market. They are not over-invested in stocks. We saw a little, a little of the animal spirits um, in the Bitcoin boom that uh, peaked in December, but that's the kind of boom that I expect to, to where everyone believes that you can't lose money in this idea, and that's the feeling at the ultimate top of a, of a major bull market. So we haven't had that, even though the market's pretty much been up for nine years in a row, for the most part, it still has a long way to go because of low interest rates and because a lot of money's still not in the market, is what you're saying. That's exactly you summed you summed it up better than I could sum it up. I mean, that's yeah. that's exactly the situation. And it's stunning to me. It's not just individual investors are scared to put their money in. Institutional investors are scared. Uh, I mean, the 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 list goes on of um, you know. Uh, I I mean, I can quote all kinds of. Uh, uh, real money indicators and sentiment indicators that show that uh, this is not this yeah. is not what the peak of a market feels like. We haven't seen that yet, and before so, this so, is over, we will. Let's go back to China. So, what is the major event that's about to happen where this money is going to come into China, and you want to get ahead of it? Yeah, so it's a really big deal. I mean, it's 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 the biggest deal of my lifetime. I never imagined a moment in my career where nobody would be invested in the world's second largest economy and the world's second largest stock market. China is the world's second largest economy, and it actually is the world's second largest stock market, but nobody is invested in it. Nobody. So why is nobody invested in China's stock market? Well, you know, um, people probably uh, have an idea that China's been a bit more closed off to the rest of the world than than uh, many other countries, right? So it's it's uh, it hasn't been easy to invest in the local stock market, um, but that is about to change, and that's about to change starting on May 31. 
And what happens on May 31 is that China will be added to the major global stock market indexes. And you think, who cares? It doesn't matter. So what if a, so what if a country is added to a global stock market index? Sounds like kind of a technical, unimportant thing. But it is huge because what happens is fund managers benchmark uh, their they benchmark their portfolios to the world indexes. So what that means is, if forty uh, percent of the world's index is the U.S. stock market, then global fund managers have forty percent of their money in U.S. stocks. So ultimately, eighteen percent of eighteen uh, percent um, of the emerging markets index is going to be invested in China uh, because of what I'm describing here. And uh, it's big money. I mean, it is big money. It is hundreds of billions of dollars that's going to flow into China that has never flowed into China before. Are, so, are there limitations uh, on that? I mean, the A shares, I thought that there's still some limitations on how institutions can buy them. So it is. Uh, so what's been happening is it's kind of been a back and forth between U.S. institutions sort of being afraid and China making it available for people to buy these A shares, which are the local uh, yeah. Chinese shares. And so um, it's gotten easier and easier and easier. And, and the easy way right now is they've set up this little bridge between Hong Kong and China, so to speak, a kind of electronic bridge um, that's uh, it's called the Connect. And it allows people to easily buy local Chinese shares through the Hong Kong Connect system. So okay. you can buy shares that trade in, in Shanghai through Hong Kong. And you can, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a relatively so that new barrier thing. has fallen, you're saying, and that's going to allow institutions to buy Chinese local A shares. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So what would be a way to play that? Would you want individual stocks or are there ETFs? What are ways to play the coming surge of money into China? Yeah, it's it's a great question. We we know exactly which stocks they're going to go into, but it's it is a bit challenging for individual investors to buy these local Chinese stocks. Um, you would have to be able to buy them through Hong Kong, and it's just more work than you need to really go through. So there is a fantastic ETF for us to buy. Thankfully, it's actually benchmarked to the MSCI China Inclusion Index, so it has the exact stocks that institutions are going to buy, that hundreds of billions is going to start flowing into um, as of May 31. And uh, this is the Crane Shares MSCI China A Share ETF. The symbol is KBA, like uh, Kevin Boy Alpha, KBA, and uh, it tracks exactly what we want to own. What has it done the last year or so? What has KBA done the last year or so? Well, it, it's been up. I mean, uh, investors have been sort of what's happening is local Chinese investors, they get this. Um, they know this is coming. So they've been uh, pushing up uh, um, local uh, local shares. Um, and, uh, that you know, we have the ability to actually do this ourselves by buying KBA in advance of the money that's about to flow in. So uh, let's see. I'm just uh, getting a, a specific um, it's done okay, but it hasn't soared uh, in anticipation right. of this, you're saying. You you haven't missed it for sure. And uh, this week I actually, uh, or it's today, today's, uh, last week I actually spoke at, uh, in Boston at the MSCI uh, sort of inclusion um, seminar where MSCI is uh, telling, it was a roadshow being put on by MSCI to get the word out about what's about to happen at the end of May. And uh, talking to... Uh, the, the head of equities for a Chinese firm, uh, sort of the Goldman Sachs of China, he's, he's a friend of mine and he was a fellow speaker. 
Uh, he said that no locals are really uh, like the China's market is dominated by retail local investors, individual investors. They aren't buying China. Institutions are underweight China, meaning that they haven't bought enough at all. Um, and uh, U.S. investors are, are you know, horribly um, underweight under China. Invested. Yes. Underinvested. So, so just to get to equal weight, just to get to the proper balance, I mean, it is going to be a flood of money. And the only way it goes up is, uh, you know, the only way they get equal weight, which is where they want to get, is by this money flowing into the stocks that are in this ETF right here. So uh, KBA is a great place to be right now. Excellent. All right, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Steve Shugarud. Uh, he is the editor of True Wealth, uh, which is a newsletter published by Stansbury Research. You can find out more at their website, stansberryresearch.com or dailywealth.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Steve Shugarud. 
He is the editor of the True Wealth newsletter, uh, uh, one of the founding members at Stansbury Research. You can find out more at stansburyresearch.com or the newsletter is dailywealth.com. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Thanks, Jordan. So you say that you like to buy things that are hated and out of favor, but still have some kind of a turnaround. One area you've been looking at recently is commodities, uh, which in general have been dead for a long time. What is the driving factor in the turnaround of commodities and how would you invest in them? No, it's it's a great question, and you're right. I want to I want to find assets that uh, people are not paying attention to, and it's amazing that there's sort of a cycle of these types of things. And you know, housing was the best thing in the world, and then nobody cared, and and now it's now it's good again. And and uh, so commodities uh, commodities have gone through incredible cycles where even the the companies that I call the masters of the universe, the the big names, the the ones that own the largest, um, you know piles of gold, for example, free, like Freeport or uh, BHP Billiton or um, Rio Tinto, these are the companies I consider to be the masters of the universe. They're not going anywhere. But in a commodities boom, they will soar 400%, 500%, and these are the blue chips. But meanwhile, in the commodities busts, well, they'll fall 60 70 even 80%. Which is and what so, happens, right? I mean, they're down, way down from their peaks. Yeah, so so um, ideally you want to be able to. Th these are the best assets on the planet, like I said, and uh, so you want to be um, you want to be in a position to say, okay, I want to buy these when they're hated, when they're ignored, when no one's paying attention to them. And uh, let me tell you, um, I don't know if people are aware of this, but uh, the premier uh, commodities index these days it's the it's the Bloomberg Commodities Index, but it's gone through a, diff a few different name changes over time. But uh, the Bloomberg Commodities Index is uh, recently hit levels not seen since 1991. So low, low the, levels, you mean? Yes. Yeah, low levels in a bad right. way. Yes, it's, right. as, it's as low as it's been in 27 years. Yeah. So if you're looking for a hated investment, um, look no further than commodities. And, so why, uh, why do you see a turnaround? I mean, if it's just hit its lowest level, it doesn't sound like it's turned around yet or beginning to turn around. Well, you know, what I, I like to do is I like to see that uh, the, the start of an uptrend. And while no one has been paying attention, the Bloomberg Commodity Index, it actually bottomed in early uh, 2016. And it's uh, steadily been uh, steadily been rising. And, uh, you know, so it's it's really right now we're just looking at the we've got the three pieces, sort of the cheap hated and the uptrend. And, and to give you an idea, Jordan, just going back uh, two years ago, I was at the um, speaking at the Vancouver conference, the Sprott uh, Natural Resources Conference, which is mm -hmm. one of the major conferences on the planet. And and uh, but it's as as uh, Jordan, you're probably aware, it's it's the premier sort of gold bugs conference. Yes. And uh, they asked me to be the first speaker on the first day. And I told them, uh, I've sold all my gold and all my gold stocks just the week before I arrived at the conference. And, uh, you know, the, the audience was shocked. And every, every subsequent speaker over the next few days had to say, well, you know, Steve said that he sold his gold, but here's why you should, here's why you should still be buying gold. But at the time, gold was very popular and gold stocks were very popular. And, uh, you know, but since then, it's, it's been a struggle for them. Um, they haven't done much, and it was the right thing to do to sell at that time. But uh, now I think it's the right thing to do to at least start getting interested in um, So what would be commodities. the fundamental reasons why commodities would be going? I mean, oil has had a huge move from 30 or so up to about 70. 
Uh, gold has moved up a little bit, not that much. Silver hasn't done too much. And you've got these potential tariffs, like on agricultural products, which would make the prices go down. Why would uh, agri- why would commodity prices turn around and start going up sharply? You know, I uh, man, I have a I have a very long term vision of this. I, I was, uh, uh, you know, we uh, when you think about where we are, um, this this is a big picture story here, uh, uh, Jordan. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, when you think about where the U.S. is, we're in a position where we have uh, an incredible um, national debt, and we also have an incredible spending problem in the U.S. to the point where. Spending on entitlements, you know, Social Security and and uh, spending on entitlements and the national debt will exceed all government revenue in 15 years time, yeah. all government revenue. And so we have an incredible problem that we are really not facing up to. And uh, there are three ways out of this problem. Um, the first way would be to uh, to reduce government spending. You know, get rid of these entitlements and and uh, not, not going to happen. <laughs> yes, not, not going to happen. The second way to get out of it would be to uh, dramatically raise taxes. But not the reality, <laughs> the reality is, is that yeah, and e- even if you could, you, you you can't even raise taxes enough to cover the spending that we have committed to at this point. So uh, I said there are three possible ways out. There's cutting. There's cutting. Uh, there's cutting spending. There's raising taxes. And the final one ultimately is printing money. Those, that's the, those are your three possible ways out of this. And, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a ways, this is a long-term view, of course, but uh, um, my, my big picture view is that we are currently in this incredible boom in stocks. We, we, we have this, we can enjoy um, uh, uh, incredible uh, uh, gains that we can possibly make in the stock market and in the real estate market. Um, as we enjoy this melt-up and this low interest rate environment, and it's kind of really a perfect environment to make money as an investor. But the flip side of the melt-up is sort of the meltdown, as uh, whether it's uh, um, with an inverted yield curve uh, in uh, 18 months or two years' time. Uh, but uh, I, I expect you're predicting inflation. When you have printing money, that's ultimately inflationary. Is what that's you're ultimately inflationary. So. What I'm looking at in the very long run is, uh, uh, in the short run, I expect us to, to make a lot of money in stocks and in real estate and in uh, in in uh, in other paper assets. But in the long run, yeah, I see the sort of a return to the 1970s of the major asset classes that did extremely well back then. And when you go back then. It was. It's surprising, you know. There's certain collectibles. Uh, gold did extremely well, as you know, and uh, a variety of different commodities uh, did extremely well in the 70s. And other assets that do well, Timberland, for example, did extremely well in the 70s. It because it's an asset that not only goes up um, in an inflationary time, but the yield on it rises as well. Um, so, yeah. so, so you want. So this is a long-term play. This is not a, a short-term. Turnaround, as you're talking about with China, something happening this month. This is That's definitely right. a longer term play. And so, how would you play it? What uh, vehicles would you use to play the turnaround that you see coming in commodities? Yeah. So, what I and uh, you know, this is uh, something that we're working on. Is uh, I would want to own the what I call the uh, the the sort of masters of the universe of uh, of commodities. Uh, so. Um, um, 
you know the uh, the BHP bulletins of the world, the the Rio Tintos, the the free ports. Um, let's see. I, I just want to get to. Um, are there some ETFs that have all these in one place, or are there pure plays on commodities itself as opposed to the miners of commodities that you would like? Yeah. So um, I would highly recommend uh, the the very simplest way to do it. What I'm talking about is. Uh, um, an, an ETF with the symbol P-I-C-K. It's PICK is what uh, is uh, is the name of it, which would be kind of like picks and shovels, right? For uh, So those for, are the Masters of the Universe kind of ETF. So those are the Masters of the Universe kind of ETFs. And yeah. so ideally what they would do is they would give you leverage to, a, to rising commodity prices. And they are really uh, broadly spread out um, over the mining sector. And again, these things can make... Um, ridiculous returns in an up market and they will lose money in a down market so ideally i i believe that we'll have multiple shots at multiple um you know you know making two and three and four times your money on these over the coming commodities boom but this is a 10 12 year story yeah and specifically gold what is your view on gold today well, I have been a, a nibbler on gold personally. I've been buying gold itself. I have not bought any gold stocks. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, gold is the ultimate crisis hedge, as they say. But, uh, you know, we're not in a crisis. So I, I kind of accumulated out, outside of crisis. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a major player if, if this inflationary idea that I'm describing comes up, but I don't consider myself a gold bug. I, I buy it when it's in an uptrend and when nobody cares about it. And uh, so, would you buy uh, physical gold or would you buy ETFs like GLD or gold mining shares? How would you buy it? Um, personally, I actually buy uh, gold coins, which is physical gold, mm -hmm. and I, I take possession of them. Uh, it's interesting, it, uh, this is a long story, but uh, you know, I won't go into it, but uh, GLD, surprisingly, you pay uh, the same tax rate as as you would on collectibles when you buy GLD. So you pay, you pay a 28% uh, sort of uh, capital gains tax on GLD, which is the ETF. You don't pay you know, your own capital gains rate. There's a specific 28% tax on collectibles, which is a bit crazy. It's yes. different for that one security than anything else. But uh, GLD is a perfectly fine way to own it in your portfolio or your IRA. Uh, I just happen to own a, uh, the physical myself. Uh, so just to summarize, a way to play the so-called Masters of the Universe, the uh, Rio Tintos and the Freeport MacMorans would be PICK, which is an ETF with all these companies, and it's a long-term play as inflation comes back. We're going to go to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Steve, Stans uh, Steve Sugarud of Stansbury Research, their website, stansburyresearch.com. Uh, the website for his specific newsletter, which is called True Wealth, which is dailywealth.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Looking for an investment option? Consider Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. Secured Real Estate Income Strategies is a real estate-backed option offering investments with a monthly income objective. The goal of the strategy is to lend money to real estate developers. SREIS offers an 8% preferred return per annum, plus a share in any profits. While there is risk, including loss of capital, and you should carefully read the offering circular for full details, Secured Real Estate Income Strategies screens each real estate loan carefully. Call 888-444-2102 or visit securedrealestatefunds.com to learn more. 
888-444-2102. Jordan Goodman is an advisor to and part owner in Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. This does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities. Securities offered through North Capital Private Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Monday Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Steve Shugarud. He's a founder of Stansbury Research, editor of the newsletter True Wealth, which you can find out more about at dailywealth.com. The website for the whole company is stansburyresearch.com. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me. One of your contrarian plays is about interest rates. Now, right now, interest rates have been rising. Last week, the 10-year treasury hit 3% for the first time in four years. Everybody thinks interest rates are going up. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think uh, everyone is wrong. I think every, I think interest rates are going to go down. And when you said interest rates specifically, you were talking about the ten-year bond or long-term interest rates, which are controlled by market forces, as opposed to short-term interest rates, which are controlled by the Fed. And so, so I just wanted to be specific because the Fed is pushing up short-term interest rates, and and that's a pretty clear thing that's happening. So I think that what happens is uh, people get a little confused between long-term interest rates and short-term interest rates. They think, well, if the Fed is raising interest rates, that all interest rates around the world or all interest rates, uh, whether it's mortgage rates or, or, or 10-year treasury bonds, they think all interest rates are going up. But it doesn't really happen that way. And the Fed um, is uh, sort of the government, in a way, sort of controls short-term interest rates, while market forces control uh, long-term. So you agree rates. the Fed's going to keep raising short-term rates, but you just think long-term rates are not going to keep going up as much as they have been lately. That's exactly right. And uh, you know, it, it seems counterintuitive, but that's that's what a that's what a uh, contrarian trade is really built on. And so, uh, so where do I get this trade idea, uh, and where do I get this belief? Uh, well, really, right now, we have never seen a moment where investors have committed 
to this degree of betting on higher long-term interest rates. And uh, no matter how you size it up, whether you're looking at the actions of futures uh, in the futures market or or uh, what institutions are doing with their money um, or just simple surveys of, of investor sentiment. Uh, the recent one was a global fund manager survey from Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Everyone is betting the, 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 the idea that long-term rates could go down while the Fed is raising short-term rates does not even, does not even uh, pop into people's uh, line so of... Uh, why why is that? Why do you think that rates are going to go down? I mean, the, the arguments for rates going up are the economy is getting stronger because of the tax cuts, the, the Treasury has to borrow a huge amount of money to cover the deficits, uh, you know, all these other reasons, inflation's picking up in various ways. These are the reasons why people think rates are going up. Why do you think rates are going to go down, long rates? Yeah, so that's a great question. And the thing is, is that uh, it, it comes down to looking at what every other rate around the world is. That We don't just operate sort of in a vacuum. We have to look at, uh, you know, what's happening around the world as well. And when you look at 10-year uh, government bonds in other countries, it's crazy. Um, and Jordan, I'm sure you're aware in Japan, the, the, a 10-year bond is paying you 0.0% right now. Yes. Yeah. 0.0. And if you look in uh, Germany, you know, so these are the major bond markets of the world. 0.0% in Japan. 0.56% in Germany. 0.78% in, uh, in France, 0.03% in Switzerland. So if you are a global investor and you're trying to decide what to do with your safe money, do you want to earn 0% in Switzerland, 0% in France, or 3% in the U.S.? So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beauty pageant, and uh, the U.S. is really winning. Money really wants to flow towards these high yields of the U.S., Meanwhile, uh, U.S. investors, um, they have been betting on higher rates. There is no one left to bet on higher interest rates. All of the bets, we have never seen such an extreme as the size of the bets on higher interest rates in the U.S. So meanwhile, while you, the U.S. is the most attractive bond market in the world as far as safe countries, what I mean is they pay the highest interest rate. We are also seeing a moment where we've never seen more people betting against, um, never seen betting on higher rates than we see right now in the U.S. So there's no more demand is going to come in from overseas, and the, the the supply won't be there to keep it, and that's why rates will fall. That's right. We're going to have more demand because the U.S. is the most attractive, and meanwhile. All the bets that are possible have already been made. So when those bets start to unwind, U.S. rates are going to fall significantly. Almost like a short squeeze in a certain way. Exactly. That's exactly what's going to happen. And uh, there's almost no way around it. So uh, it's not typical for me. My, my main newsletter, uh, True Wealth, is, uh, is normally uh, a very conservative letter and, and uh, very, very clear ideas, very simple ideas. We don't sort of stick our neck out and make uh, sort of riskier type bets uh, very often. But in this particular case, this is just such an extreme, such an obvious opportunity that in this newsletter, we actually have a leveraged fund that would take advantage um, of falling long-term long. rates. It's, it's leveraged on bond prices going up, yields going down. So what would be exactly right. an ETF? Or how would you how would you play that one? So yeah, so that ETF, it's the, the Direction Daily uh, Twenty Year Plus uh, Treasury Bull Fund, symbol TMF, as in Tom Mary Frank, 
And uh, this thing so that's can leverage is that two or three times, or is it's it... actually three times leveraged. Wow! But uh, of course, I mean, it's you know invested in boring bonds, so so the three times leverage is is, is helps you out in making um, big potential returns. And so that's it... probably been falling a lot lately as rates went up to three percent. Right, and uh, now is a perfect opportunity for uh, people to get in. So what the way I would recommend, the way we're doing it in our letter is uh, we have basically a 15% trailing stop on the downside. And, uh, you know, we would we would recommend, what I'm doing is I recommend having 50% upside potential, but 15% downside risk. So yeah. that's the way I love to trade it. Jordan, you've heard me say this before. I want to have three times the upside potential as my downside risk. So if you were going to trade this, You'd buy it today. Um, you'd cut your loss if we were wrong at losing 15%, and you'd take your profit uh, at a 50% gain, 5-0% yeah. gain. Uh, we have about two minutes to go. Just kind of sum up your view of the world markets and what big opportunities you see and what risks you see in the market based on what we've talked about the last hour or so. Yeah, absolutely. So I think investors are incredibly fearful. Um, so I think we have a, a fantastic opportunity. Um, there's still plenty of upside. I predict I predict we'll see a melt-up in U.S. stock prices over the next 18 months or so, much higher highs than anyone is ever imagining. I also believe real estate is going to do extremely well um, in the U.S. But my favorite idea is actually China and KBA, which is an ETF uh, to buy local Chinese shares. China is the world's second largest economy. It's the world's second largest stock market, and nobody is invested there. Meanwhile, um, hundreds of billions of dollars are about to flow in because China is going to be added to the global indexes. So KBA is my top story uh, right now. And you're saying in the long run, the market has a lot, stock market has a long further to rise, but eventually... Uh, we'll have a big meltdown after the melt up. Is that right? Yeah. So, so my, I, I'm, these are just, these are just, uh, you know, I don't know how clear my crystal ball is, but I figure we have maybe two years of upside in U.S. stocks. But the China story, to me, this is more of a five-year story of upside. So, if you were looking for a, a five-year call for me, Jordan, it would be, uh, it would be Chinese stocks. So Chinese stocks will keep going up, but U.S. stocks will peak. You're saying when all these pressures you talk about, these inflationary pressures start kicking in. Yeah, I mean, I think if the sh if the Fed raises uh, short-term rates above long-term rates, that has been an, a classic sign of uh, an impending recession and an impending stock market uh, bust, really. I think uh, it inverted yield curve, uh, which is short-term rates being higher than long-term rates, has predicted, I think they say, 10 of the last nine recessions and stock market yes. busts. But that's what you're saying is going to happen if you think long rates are going down and the Fed's going to keep pushing up short rates. Yeah, I think we'll see uh, short rates. Uh, we could very well uh, see an inverted yield curve maybe two years out, and that would be a, a huge red flag, um, and it would be time to really start lightening your load in stocks and, and real estate, possibly, and uh, start considering some of these other things that did well in the 70s. Terrific. Well, thanks so much, my guest this hour has been Steve Shugarud. He's the editor of the True Wealth Newsletter, part of the Stansberry Research Group. Uh, the website for that is dailywealth.com, and to find Stansberry, it's stansberryresearch.com. Thanks so much for an enlightening interview, Steve. Thank you, Jordan. Had a great time. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.